This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. Don't forget you can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1. And if you want to come on and play our hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10? Are you good at quizzes? It's all general knowledge. It's not even really politics. It's just 10 questions loosely connected to 10 cabinet jobs. The more questions you get right, the better the job you get, taking your place alongside our other listeners and guests. And... Uh, you'll get a certificate as well. So if you want to do that, email me, matt.chorley at times.radio, matt.chorley at times.radio. You come on, we'll have a chat, we'll do the quiz, you get a certificate. Lovely. Right, coming up on today's episode, step away from the tractor website. We bring you the latest Times Radio focus group. This month, it is in Tiverton and Honiton, the seat vacated by Neil Parrish after he was caught watching goodness knows what on his phone in the House of Commons chamber. Uh, They're former Tory voters from 2019 now undecided. We find out what they think is going to happen in the by-election, what they think of Boris Johnson, Keir Starmer, and why one of them thinks that Ed Davey is the Joe Biden of British politics. All that coming up on the podcast in just a moment. First, though, as ever, we kick off with our Columnist panel, and on a Thursday, it is... The Columnists with Night at the Marriott, India Knight and James Marriott on Times Radio. Yes, now it's that time of the morning. We always speak to two of our favourite columnists, and they're both back on a Thursday. It's Night at the Marriott. It's Indian Night and James Marriott in the studio. James Marriott, morning. Good morning. And uh, beaming in from where are where are you, India? Suffolk. Suffolk. That's right. Suffolk. Beautiful, sunny Suffolk. Beautiful day. It's all right, isn't it? But it's, it's, life is always much better when the sun is out. Uh, now, um, uh, before we get on to actually talking about the news, uh, James has been uh, showing me he's been using an app to turn himself into a, a, an oil painting. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? I, 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 well, I showed Matt a picture a picture of me that I was very disappointed in. I looked like, I mean, what would you say I looked like? I think the, the, this, this app has made me look like a painting of a, maybe look like a painting of a sort of 50-year-old uh, 50, 50 woman. 
What do you know? You're right. It's one of those. It's like, do you see a rabbit or a duck? Is it a 50 year old woman or is it a slightly chubby 12 year old boy? It's, well, I mean, one of those. One of those is basically what I do look like. Someone, someone said you're kind of much divorced aunt who kind of comes around. Can and you is tweet like, that so that listeners um, know what we're talking about? Yes, I yeah, yeah I, I, rel- I reluctantly will. Well, of course. Um, so this is apparently this is so you can turn your Twitter profile picture into a, into an oil painting. It's very good. I, however, have got an oil painting as my uh, my because I was I was lucky enough. Somebody um, from a year or two ago, Sky Arts got in touch and said, "Would you like someone to paint your portrait?" And I thought, well, why not? Because I'd never, I'd never obviously commissioned that. So that is actually. Has anybody ever painted a portrait of you, India? Um, yes, actually. Oh. Uh, once, as um, who was it? <laughs> there was somebody. There was a very interesting artist called Alice Inston, and she did a she did a series of paintings of women as either witches or historical prostitutes. I think I was a historical prostitute, but I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember which one. I can't remember which one. And then a friend has painted me um, as well. But but your Sky Arts thing sounds amazing. Have you got it hanging above your mantelpiece? Uh, no, it's it's uh, it's on a shelf in the kitchen. Um, that was that was deemed a sort of it's slightly in a, so it is out, but in a corner. So it's sort of ooh, kind ooh, of humble braggy. Humble sort of, braggy. Yeah. I'm yeah, so like relaxed about having a portrait of myself. We've just, yeah, we've just popped it's just it up. Yeah. I think we should start a campaign to get uh, a painting, uh, a portrait of James done uh, as an historical prostitute. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that's, that's kind this... of what the app did to me, isn't it, really? Um, but a good-looking James historical prostitute. The app is one of those prostitutes who probably is one of the less popular ones, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably not got the full set of teeth. No, uh, as well as um, no. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's um, let's concentrate on what we're supposed to be talking about, and it's um, well, it actually it's to do with art. It's to do with our artists you've been writing about today, James. Yeah, kind of artists, and also a bit. It was a bit of a. It was a sort of bit of a rant about how uh, I kind of feel that every uh, nowadays everybody has to try very hard uh, to appear nice. I, I, I kind of feel like once upon a time, celebrities, writers, actors, musicians were kind of allowed to be boisterous and rude and a bit mad and smash up hotel rooms and you know cause kind of immense misbehavior uh, and sometimes be in some ways i mean quite quite i mean quite horrible people and nowadays there's like enormous amount of pressure on celebrities to um be extremely nice and extremely virtuous and i think often quite boring and um i guess my kind of i think that you know i think that's not an uncommon thing to say i was kind of saying i think that's bad for us as well as for the celebrities because it kind of deludes us into this position where we think that we just love virtuous people and we can be very impressed ourselves loving all these virtuous celebrities whereas i actually think that we're in danger of forgetting that often human beings are attracted to quite nasty people and it's good to be aware of that was my thesis in my column and what do you think of this india i think that um complicated stroke nasty people are often more interesting and produce more interesting art i also think that people who i think people who are kind and virtuous always never say hi nice to meet you i'm incredibly kind and virtuous you know (laughs) i think the very act of trumpeting your kindness or your virtue is extremely suspect there was that terrible that when i was last on twitter eons ago there was that awful hashtag be kind you know and anybody who used it you were just saying hmm why do you need to tell other people how to behave it rather suggests to me that you have to make a monumental effort to be even vaguely kind yourself i think yeah i think trumpeting any virtue is never a good sign and wanting to be perceived as sort of i mean i understand why you know prominent people want to be perceived as bland and inoffensive it's so that they don't get cancelled but 
but going out of your way to kind of move, shift perception of you towards a kind of anodyne, bland blankness is 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 really boring. It's boring. It's not interesting. I suppose there's two things here, isn't there, James? In the sort of cancelling of or whatever of uh, of artists, one is just you know not very pleasant people who might uh, you know not not go around you hashtag kind. And those who use their popularity and fame to exploit and, you know, to use that power over others. Because there's been a big row this week, isn't there? Because I think Kevin Spacey is coming back in something and people yeah. are saying that uh, it just goes to show that Hollywood or whatever hasn't changed and that, you know, if you if you wait long enough, you can be uncancelled and everyone turns a blind eye to what went on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I'm not... I'm, this column, where I was quite anxious, people start saying, we think this column is me defending, like, uh, horrible people and nasty people, which is not what, I, not what I was doing at all, only kind of saying um, that we should be suspicious of our kind of in a cultural environment which encourages everyone to kind of act as if they're nice when they're not nice. I completely agree with India. I think the kind of... Uh, the the need to go and publicly parade what a good person you are is just such a weird psychological thing. And when you meet the people who do it, I think often in real life, they're, 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 they're not very nice at all. I think it's a very kind of strange thing. It's always a bit like, you know... Um, basically, this is not pro-bad people. No, it's no, no. anti anti-hypocrisy. nice people. Yes, anti-hypocrisy. <laughs> Anti-bad anti people, especially anti-bad people pretending to be nice people, because they're dangerous, I think. Um, they are the worst. Um, let's talk about and well is is here's a good question India is Lee Anderson a good or a bad person? He was he was try, he was he was uh, making the case for a food bag in his constituency which offers lessons cooking lessons for people uh, as well as just going being able to go in and pick up food but also know how to turn it into meals and uh, you know making nice meals with well, I think he said only thirty p. And then he, he sort of, I think he was challenged about it and then went a bit further and then said that some people who go to food banks cannot cook properly and cannot budget, uh, which has caused quite quite a row. What do you think? Well, I think you can't cook properly if you don't have any ingredients for a start. You know, you need to have, you need to have stuff in order to cook it. Um, so I think it was a really, you know, to be generous, careless thing to say. Um I also think that people who use food banks and people generally are not as competent as... Uh, uh, I think I think the thing with cooking is there's, there's a sort of tyranny of the recipe. So you think, I want to make, I don't know, whatever, whatever you want to make. I don't have the ingredients, therefore I can't make it. And that's because we've all been brought up to follow, you know, TV cooks, are these sort of exalted beings who teach us how to do things and we make a list and we have to have every item on the list and we go to the shop and we, if we're fortunate enough to be able to afford the ingredients, we go to the shop and we, we cook the thing according exactly to the recipe. There's a, so, so if we have two, if we have a leek, two potatoes and two eggs, and we don't have a recipe for what, how, what to do with those particular ingredients, we are slightly thrown into a panic. And there's a much more instinctive way of cooking, which is not taught and which ought to be called, taught, I think, where you, where you understand the principle of a recipe and you can apply whatever ingredients you have to hand to make the thing. But anyway, that's not what he was saying. That's what I'm saying. I think he shouldn't have said that thing. But I do think people are frightened of cooking. Um, People are frightened of improvising and of sort of teaching themselves to cook. They rely, they want Mary Berry to tell them what to do. And I don't think that's necessarily always very helpful I think, in normal day-to-day -day life. I think you're so right. It's one of the things, I, I, I had a bit of a breakthrough with my daughter a week or so ago. 
because there was a recipe that she wanted to do and we couldn't find one of the things in the shops that she, you know and I said we well, could just basically do the same thing but do it you know yeah all the same thing else. it's the same flavor and actually because she she loved baking and things like that but you know you, you have to follow the recipe and do it all properly and actually I quite like just looking in the fridge at what we've got and rust, yeah. rustling something up yeah but that takes confidence you know and I think people I think a lot of people don't have the confidence I mean baking is different because you do baking is more that like is science. science you know yeah, you, you yeah. have to be much more specific but opening the fridge and seeing your sort of slightly sad leak at the bottom of the vegetable drawer you know it takes a particular kind of mindset to go oh I know I can make that and not to go I don't know what to do with this stupid leak sitting there I have no <laughs> leak inspiration at all there are no leak recipes uh so, James as someone as we know famously eats pasta in the bath now I can't. Did you actually eat pasta de bath, or did I make that up? No, you you were spreading you were spreading fake news about me, and it's now entered the mainstream. You media like eating pasta? I can't control and you like a bath, and I think I conflated the two. Yes, no, I mean you, I, you were eating something in the bath that was um, improbable. No, I, I think I think it's all Matt. I I, I think <laughs> I was just. Have you ever eaten normal, in the bath? Uh, yes, but it's not like a habit. What What have you eaten in the bath? I I can't, I can't remember. I mean, I think it was pasta. It would have been like maybe like a Kit Kat. I mean. <laughs> That's quite weird. I, I I think you. I don't know. I don't. I like two perfectly normal things: having a bath and eating pasta. <laughs> and you've conflated these to make me some kind of monster. I don't know why this is. Maybe there's something psychological. Maybe e I did say something weird. Eating pasta in the bath seems less weird than eating a Kit Kat. Taking I, a Kit Kat upstairs, running a bath. Well, I was trying to think of normal food. Okay, what is a normal? <laughs> what's a normal food to eat in the bath? Nothing. A mango. A mango. A, a mango. mango. <laughs> That's even worse okay, than the Kit Kat. Okay, which no, food? No, it's so sticky. Which food, which food is okay to eat in the bath? Texas 87222. Start your message with the word Times. <laughs> tweet us at Times. Uh, which food? Yeah, you're right. Maybe something drippy, a peach, something like that. Because you eat that. Nectarine. You, eat, you can only eat that standing over the sink. Do people eat like magnums in the bath in an advert? Or an is ice it like, cream. Oh, or, maybe. Or, or is it maybe, um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just show myself to be horrendously out of touch here. Amazing, um, amazing. Um, I love you squirreling the Kit Kat away, scuttling upstairs. Yeah, it'll probably melt, wouldn't it? I, I like a hot bath, it'll probably melt and get off my hands, but then I could immediately wash my hands. Exactly. We, exactly. Oh, god, now I've just got pictures of you covered in chocolate in the bath. <laughs> well, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't think I put that there. Uh, <laughs> oh, should we... <laughs> oh, still. Oh. I can't, what are we going to talk about now? Cannabis, cannabis, <laughs> <laughs> cannabis in the bath. <laughs> um, I mean, from a political standpoint, uh, I think yeah, uh, that should be that should be legal. Um, I, I wouldn't do it, but um... so the, this is Sadiq Khan has asked a group of experts to consider decriminalising <clears throat> cannabis. He's visited a marijuana farm and retail in in, uh, in LA. Um, uh, I mean, technically, this is I don't think this has really got anything to do with him, has it? He doesn't no, have any power. The, he has the power to instruct the Met, doesn't he? But the Met don't stop. The Met stop people at their discretion anyway. Technically, I think. He's yes. Starting, he's 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 going to make a he's he's launching a commission to look into it with the hope that the government will pay attention to his commission, although nothing compels them to. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose maybe he thinks he can move the debate on if he gets some. Yeah. Uh... I, I mean, I think the America thing is significant because I think you know we're so in. America's kind of cultural sphere, you know, our kind of culture is so Americanized. I feel the fact that America, you know, so many American states have legalized cannabis means that surely that cultural dial will eventually kind of sweep us with it. And I think that's going to take us, I sort of feel that's going to take us there. Um, and yeah, but I suppose it's one of those things, well, we don't know if it would work, but we're literally seeing that being played out in America right now. Uh, finally, you want to talk about um, this plane, a passenger on a private aircraft flying from the Bahamas 
was coached to a safe landing by air traffic controllers after the pilot blacked out. It's like something from a film, this. Blacked out, slumped on the controls, and then sent them nose-diving towards the Atlantic Ocean. Would you have stepped up, India? I love this story because, I mean, the man really had no idea what he was doing and was communicating with the control people saying, I don't know, I can see the coast of Florida, that's all I know. And they talked him down and he did this rather kind of smooth, elegant, slow landing. I love the story, A, because it's great, but B, because, you know, you think, well, I could do that often. There are lots of circumstances, situations where you think, I could do that heroic thing that saved lots of people. And he actually did. It's really, really cheering. And he really, really... He was just an ordinary bloke sitting on a plane, no flying experience of any kind whatsoever. And he just kept really calm and uh, did it. It's fantastic. It's so cheering. I mean, I don't think people should, you know, volunteer <laughs> to land planes who've never landed a plane before. But it just goes to show, you know, if you if you are if you're desperate enough, if the situation is dire enough and you're desperate enough and you just kind of keep your nerve. All sorts of things are possible. I'm quite intrigued to know if he was like a gamer or had any experience, you know, that ever tried. That would be interesting to yeah. know, wouldn't yeah, yeah. it? What about you, James? Could you land a plane? No way. This story depressed me because I'm never going to be that guy. I feel like <laughs> India, I could see India landing a plane. Could I see, I could probably see you landing a plane. Me? You could sort of do James, some... you could land a plane. No, I would crash it. I would crash it. I know I would. I'd panic. Um, Tim, you'd give it a go. I would give it a go. Yeah, of course I'd give it a go, but it would just probably be a disaster. Um, um, on the on the important question of the day, the most important question: What should you eat in the bath? We've had lots of responses. Oh, go on. Several people pointing out there was a Cadbury flake. That's what I was thinking of. Yes. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, maybe we could try and play that. The, that the, yeah, the, the Cadbury flake bath TV commercial. Mm. Um, uh, Lindsay says my radio cut out at the crucial point. I heard James Marriott eats a cat in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's about. Uh, Pat says, uh, good thing to eat in the bath, tapas. What? I think that's a pun. Tap. 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 Uh, only, only food to eat in the bath is champagne and strawberries, says Louise and Hull. Mm, okay, yeah. Uh, Mike says, a baguette. You can't eat a baguette. Preposterous. That, preposterous. That, that, just, that you, doesn't work. You, you'd end up dipping your, you'd, you'd end up dipping your end in, wouldn't you? We'll get, you <laughs> 
Yes, uh, every month here on Times Radio, we convene a focus group of voters to assess how the government is getting on to see what matters most to real people outside the Westminster bubble. Uh, the focus group, in association with Keck CNC, is always run by former number 10 pollster James Johnson, who's here with me in the studio. Morning, James. Morning, Matt. Let's begin with our legal obligation to remind listeners the difference between a focus group and a poll. Yes, this is not a projection, this is not a prediction. Polls are of lots of voters, 1,000, 2,000, they're weighted to be nationally representative. Uh, they tell us what's going on at a, a large-scale level. Focus groups, much smaller. We're talking to six to eight voters. They're selected so that we can get a deep dive into people from those polls. So they don't tell us what's going to happen, they don't tell us what every swing voter in the country thinks, but they do show us how they're thinking about things sort of behind their answers that they might give in the polling. And so who did we speak to this time? So we went to a very specific place this time. We went to Tiverton and Honiton, which is where there was a by-election taking place, uh, we think in June or July, probably July now. Um, and uh, we spoke to a group of people who voted Conservative in 2019, um, and they are open to considering other parties, including the Lib Dems. Uh, so it's basically swing voters who all voted Conservative in 2019. And that's a really th important thing to remember here, because you might hear some quite hostile stuff about the Conservatives through this, but really important to remember, these are people who voted Tory last time around. And because normally we sort of have a mixture of sort of former Labour, former Tory swing voters, but these are all people who voted Conservative, and at least uh, Conservative last time around, but are at least open to the idea of uh, of a switch, uh, and obviously you know, and with a looming by election, Neil Powish and his tractors, that there's an interesting backdrop to all of this. So uh, let's start off with a uh, very straightforward uh, question that we uh, uh, James always asks just to warm up the group. How are the government doing? Disappointed. Was expecting far more. Our leaders are full of bluster and self-importance and not getting down to the things that are important. And everyone's um, in the Westminster village running around wondering whether someone had a beer that they shouldn't have. Disappointed, had reasonable hopes, begun to really not respect Boris and the way he's been carrying on. He'll say anything, does very little of delivering what he said. I'd say I feel pretty let down by our current government. Kind of feel like there was a lot of promise and not a lot of delivery. Again, disappointment. I thought Boris did all right during the pandemic. And I, I, I said that to people and sort of shouted down a lot about that. But since then, it's just been disappointment after disappointment after scandal. And it's just like, I don't know where to start with. I really don't. I, I, I would tend to use stronger language than disappointed. I think some of the stuff, as a manager of a care home, some of his, uh, the actions of the government have been unforgivable. I think the pandemic was handled poorly. And um, There's definitely a lack of leadership. To me, it's like too much cross-party fighting. They were all like slagging one off all the time, constantly in the news. And I think the dynamics definitely changed post-pandemic as well. And there's a lot of, you know, we all paid, played by the roles. And I think a lot of people now have just really lost trust. I mean, that's probably nothing in that group, uh, what they were saying there will surprise anyone. But it's just it's telling that these are Tory voters, people who voted for Boris Johnson last time uh, ran uh, James Johnson. I mean, disappointment's probably the big, if you were going to do one of your famous word clouds, uh, that's, the, the, that's the overall mood that these were people who, who enthusiastically voted for Boris Johnson in 2019. Yes, I think exactly that. And this is repeating the story that we have seen since about mid-January in these focus groups, 
people previously last year saying in answer to that question where we give Boris the benefit of the doubt. He's had a tough job. Um, he's managed the pandemic well. Very different now. Uh, you get that word disappointment, but it even feels a bit stronger, actually, than that uh, average sort of midterm blues disappointment. Uh, the frustrations led by Boris Johnson, led by lies over Partygate, and also a sense that the government has promised things and they're not being delivered. Now, you always get an element of that with politicians, but all of those things are mixing together to make people now feel that Boris Johnson, as Conservative leader and as Prime Minister, is not the strong deliverer that perhaps they thought he was when they voted for him in 2019. One thing we should point out is Tiverton Hanson is an interesting seat uh, because there's a by-election coming. Uh, but uh, last time round, Neil Parish in 2019 got 30, almost 36,000 votes Labour in second on 11,500. The Lib Dems were on 8,800. So, But it's a sign, I suppose, of the turmoil in British politics and what we've seen in North Shropshire, in Chesham and Amersham. The Lib Dems are even think that they're in the, the running on this. Yeah, and as I said at the start, it's not a poll. So it could be that we, we only spoke to the swing voters here. It could be that there's lots of very loyal 2019 Conservatives wouldn't consider another party, and that number of them allows them to hold the seat. But certainly based on this, you would be worried about that. And obviously, we have seen in North Shropshire, the Lib Dems go from third to first back in December. And on this, you're thinking, you know, Conservatives have got grounds to be worried. And actually, if you go all the way back to 97, uh, the Lib Dems came within 1500 votes of, of taking that seat. So if, if people are saying, well, you know, if we are looking at it, the next election being a long time of the Conservatives being in power, and voters swinging behind either Labour or the Lib Dems, whichever one gets the Tories out, then, then maybe there might be a repeat of that. So uh, they voted for him in 2019. This is what the group of Conservative uh, voters in Tiverton and Honiton said when asked to sum up Boris Johnson in a word or phrase. Boris Johnson is a lying buffoon. Just an idiot. As I say, no respect at all, because just an idiot, the way he behaves and, yeah, liar. Selfish, greedy man. He has a notion of what a leader should be, seeing it through Churchill, but to him it's bluster and self-engrandisement. He doesn't take it seriously. Uh, self-promoting. Something like self-fulfilling bigot. James, we have to remind ourselves, because sometimes, previous, we've been doing this every month since Times Radio launched back in, what, June 2020. And at various points, Boris Johnson has got the benefit of the doubt, and we've noticed in recent months things have been turning. This is the most, I think, possibly the rudest we've had from a group. And these are Tory voters. Normally, it's like split between Labour and Tory voters. These are all Tory voters. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty savage listening for, for, for Boris Johnson. Um, and it's interesting because when you ask for their rationale about why they did vote for him in 2019, a lot of them said, well, we did it to get Brexit done or we did it to keep Corbyn out. Um, but it's also a sense that they have changed their view and it is because of Partygate. And not just Partygate, but the perceived lying after Partygate being... Uh, absolutely uh, fundamental to that. Another important thing to stress is that these voters haven't turned on the Conservative Party as a concept. They still talked about themselves as having Conservative values. They still talked about themselves as you know, preferring Conservatives on the economy, for example. It's just they've got one big barrier to doing that, and it's Boris Johnson. Which is, which is quite the turnaround, because previously he was the Conservative who could reach voters that others couldn't and was sort of outperform the Tory party, dragging the Tory party up in terms of its uh, vote share. We'll just try and tease out a little bit exactly what it was that they think has changed having voted for Boris Johnson in 2019 and why they've changed their views now. I was quite pro the Brexit. I was led toward Boris through Anne Widdicombe and Nigel Farage, who, love them or loathe them, are leaders. And it was through that belief in leadership 
I did expect more from him because of that. Basically, the shambles of the Brexit negotiations, as we kind of fumbled through it, you could see that we were never going to honour what we're doing, and we didn't. The way the NHS has struggled, the way care services have struggled, the way the green agenda has really only been discussed at key points, but has never been actually a main agenda item. And if they can sweep it under the rug, they do. Just endless. Voted for through lack of other leadership. And then what's changed, I guess, is the lying, the law breaking. Everything that he's done over the last two, three years has been outrageously poor. We've all changed our opinion because he's come across quite untrustworthy and incompetent. When we were um, watching this group unfold, uh, James, uh, and I just lurk, so I don't speak to the group, but I remember writing down outrageously poor because I just thought that <laughs> there's something about that phrase that really, really stuck with me. And it's what's really interesting is that this is about him. This is about Boris Johnson. And what has changed is that they thought he was a good guy and he was going to get Brexit done. And actually, they think he's he's broken the rules, he's lied, he's not been on their side. Uh, and that, that's, that's a really personally damaging place to be and quite difficult to turn around, I'd have thought. Yeah, and I think from all of these focus groups, from the from this one in Tiverton, from the other ones we've done this year, and indeed all the focus groups that I do day to day, I think you know, it is becoming increasingly clear that Partygate is to Boris what Iraq was to Blair, what the ERM crisis was to Major, what social care and the manifesto was to Theresa May. Um, you get these brand-changing moments for politicians. Tuition fees for Nick Clegg. Yeah. yeah. And Partygate is, it might be a slow burner, and we might be dragging through it throughout this year, but it has had that level of impact, and it only really seems to be getting worse. This is what I say when people say, well, actually, look, hasn't Boris Johnson got a chance of turning it around? It's midterm, hasn't he got a chance? I say, well, look, between February, March and April, you had uh, the war in Ukraine, Boris Johnson lauded around the world, being seen to have done a pretty good job, MPs, Conservative MPs rallied around him, and we still saw exactly this in the focus groups. So I think if you're Conservative looking at this, it's hard to see how Boris Johnson turns that around. Yeah, being the closest international ally of... Uh, the leader of Ukraine, a hugely globally popular leader of Ukraine in the middle of a war, and that's still not changing his his uh, his uh, reputation at home is quite something. Uh, let's look at some of the others then. Uh, there was a time when we started doing these focus groups where one person was the king of these groups. No matter where we went or who we spoke to, everyone loved Rishi Sunak. Let's take a listen to see what they had to say now. I don't really know enough about Rishi Sunak to... to comment really exceedingly wealthy banker his trousers are too short he's a puppet we've got you know a crisis on the cost of living increasing and stuff like that and i just don't feel it's like they don't care it doesn't care it's just brush it underneath the carpet he's very well connected very privileged his wife comes from an incredibly wealthy family in india uh, i think her non-don status is questionable so i don't know whether her tax affairs fall under British law, which being the wife of a Chancellor of the Exchequer, there's a loyalty issue there. He's just a brilliant accountant. I don't know enough about him to comment, to be honest. Yeah, privileged, wealthy, untrustworthy man. Wowzers. That's a bit of a turnaround as, as, as well, James. Do you think that this is terminal for, for Rishi Sunak? I mean, actually, Boris Johnson's probably quite pleased in some extent because... <laughs> Rishi Sunak was the, the prince across the water and now you know he's as tarnished for slightly different reasons yeah it's not quite as severe I don't think as the Boris brand damage but it clearly has uh, had a significant uh, impact over the last uh, few weeks 
uh, and, and months. It's interesting because you know, these are quite high awareness voters. I mean, some voters we speak to, particularly uh, in some of those seats the Conservatives gained for the first time from Labour at the last election, you get you know, a lot of people who aren't really plugged into what, what's going on. I think we can probably say with a relatively safe assumption based on this conversation with the voters that they probably did know that Rishi Sunak had a rich background before this year. The problem is, is that the actions from the Chancellor have made them now that now matters, and they now link that to him in a negative way. Uh, so unless he were to come out with some things that were able to dislodge that from their mind, that rich background thing is now playing very heavily in Rishi Sunak, to Rishi Sunak's, uh, uh, yeah, not very much, very clearly not to his advantage. You're listening to the uh, the latest Times Radio Focus Group with Kex CNC. In the seat of Tivton and Honiton, vacated by Neil Powish, after he had to resign after watching porn in the Commons. The Lib Dems have got their eye on the seat, not least after they did so well in large parts of the West Country last week in the local elections. We'll find out what they think about the Lib Dems in a moment. But first, we should, out of well, politeness as much as anything else, ask, uh, let's find out what the group think of the Labour leader, Keir Starmer. I don't trust the man. I don't think he's very strong. I don't think he's a great leader. I think he's along the lines of Boris, really. Like, just very untrustworthy. And I know his ratings are going up, but I think it's just because, you know, uh, everyone's feeling with Boris. Maybe that's the reason why bland doesn't have an impact the impact that you'd need of a leader i get bored to death listening to him he's just too weak there's something about him that i'm just not particularly drawn to i think again he's he's untrustworthy um he doesn't come across as a, a strong leader i think he's a lawyer so he's got a uh, he's got an intellect not charismatic but but you know if it, i don't know what what we're looking for from a leader are we looking for somebody that's bombastic and buffoons his way through things and you know let me tell you a bit like you know the way in which Boris does I'm I'm happy for a bit of a change. He's a strategist for his own interest when he took the knee for BLM it was so embarrassing. So that's what the group thought of Keir Starmer. It's a plague on all your houses, a sort of emerging theme of this, James. Yeah, one big caveat to this, you wouldn't expect this group to have particularly positive views of a Labour leader. You know, because of the where we are in the in the country. Because of where we are, because these are uh, historic 29, uh, because these are historic Conservative voters. Um, but yeah, look, they're clearly not uh, uh, warming up to him uh, regardless of that. Um, what is interesting is that in that general conversation, we talked about it a little bit later, but in that general conversation, Beer Gate didn't come up at all um, when they were talking about sort of, you know, their general views of Keir Starmer. And we then asked, well, okay, we talked about Boris, talked about Keir. Between the two, if you had to choose one to be a prime minister, who would it be? And actually, four of the six opted for Keir Starmer. I think one said Boris, another was a draw. And that is interesting because what's really been powerful for the Conservatives in these seats historically is being able to say, well, look, it's a choice between a Conservative and a Labour prime minister, vote Conservative and stay with us. And that was used to devastating effect in 2019 when Jeremy Corbyn was Labour leader. From this, it doesn't look like that squeeze argument is going to work quite so well with Keir Starmer on the ballot. And in a seat like this, and lots of seats in the West Country, which potentially will be a fight between the Conservatives and Lib Dems, that choice of Conservative, Boris Johnson or Keir Starmer, that matters because it opens up the way to say, well, I'll vote Lib Dem uh, because I'm comfortable. You know, Lib Dems, I've spoken to over the years, have always said the best thing for them is an acceptable Labour leader. A, a plausible Labour leader. It was what actually did for the Lib Dems in uh, 2015 was that the idea of Ed Miliband in Nicola Sturgeon's pockets, well, we can't risk that, so we have to vote Conservative. But if suddenly you are 
con- at least in the, on the basis of this, like you said, four out of six, content with the idea of Keir Starmer as leader. That gives you, that at least opens the door to, to potentially vote in Lib Dem. James Johnson, former number 10 pollster, was in the chair and is in the studio with me now because Neil Parrish uh, stood down, as uh, Tractor fans will recall. Uh, Neil Parrish was found to be an MP who watched pornography twice in the House of Commons. He said in part it was because he was looking at tractors and then got distracted. So, uh, James asked the group what what they knew of and their reaction to Neil Parrish's resignation. Neil Parrish was looking at porn in the House of Commons. I think it was the right thing to do, and he sets an example for other politicians that have seemed to be doing wrong. He didn't want to go when he was first caught. It really was a question of either, if you don't jump, we'll push you. Yeah, I'd have loved to have seen his inbox on Saturday morning when he opened his email because both my wife and I were nearly writing emails and we said, well, give him, give him 48 hours. And he went, you know, you can't say, well, I'll wait for an investigation, which is what he's on about. He either did it or he didn't. He knows. And he knew and he went. Uh, I don't know. We've all tapped on a dodgy link, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he went back for a second dip, didn't he? <laughs> Uh, well, there we are. That's what the group uh, group had to say. We've had uh, some reaction already. Patrick says on Twitter, it's finally dawning on this Tory voting focus group. The Conservatives have taken them for fools. Better late than never, but the damage they have done may never be rep- repaired. Stephen says, the Daily Mail crowd on Times Radio's focus group don't like Starmer. Not sure what the point of this is, except to show how UK right-wing propaganda is very powerful. Against you- Boris Johnson. Against Boris... Yeah, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not sure... The right, what the right wing. Anyway, well done, Stephen. Thank you for listening. Always nice to have you, <laughs> have you along. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and Paula, Paula actually has been in. T- uh, Paula Savage, who is a, a, a political academic, she said this stat. Although she says it's not really a stat from the focus group, but pointing out that as we were just saying that four out of six had the opted for Keir Starmer over Boris Johnson in a forced choice of PM. That really helps the Lib Dems win over the Tory voters, and I think that's. Uh, yeah, we'll um, we'll return to that. So, uh, um, you then asked him, James, what are the issues that will decide how they will vote at the by election? Cost of living and stuff like that. So, really, because I'd like to retire, but now I'm just going to feel like I've got to carry on working just to make ends meet. You know, again, it's it's, 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 it's the cost of living and and the people that are going to invest in in the local economy and and, and local amenities and things like that is, is more for me. The thing that's going to swing it for me is some sign of leadership. I think the main issue covering the world at the moment is climate change. And that's kind of gone off the boil with the pandemic. And alongside the Ukraine war, we're, we're not talking about, about climate change anymore. But I think we're in crisis right now. Uh, definitely local issues. I don't want to hear about party issues because... If they bang down our throat, what I've done for the country, the Conservatives and the pandemic or the Labour bang down what they're doing, they've lost, they haven't got the right focus. It's got to be what they're doing here. Listening to that, James, does that open the door for the Lib Dems in this seat, you think? The sort of issues they're talking about? I think that is the sort of the ideal issues agenda, we call it in polling. That is the ideal issues agenda if you're a Lib Dem candidate in this in this seat uh, they do very well on local issues they're clearly looking for that local leadership um you know if the lib dems went big on basically boris because he's clearly incredibly unpopular in this in this seat um with these voters uh, and they said you know we are the ones who will actually get on with the job that they're not doing uh, in the local area then i think they do very well 
uh, indeed. Um, and you saw some of the national issues linking to local concerns. Somebody said, you know, there's an over-reliance of gas and oil in this area because it's so rural. So that's really worrying for the cost of living when it comes to heating homes. People said, you know, there's doctor's absences in an NHS-run surgery in, in, in Tiverton, and that's, you know, really worrying. And the NHS is in a bad state overall. And then you've got housing developments too, which is always something the Lib Dems weaponise very effectively. And potholes. And potholes. We're pretty sure the Lib Dem candidate will be pointing at a pothole and looking cross at some point during the campaign. Uh, so uh, we always ask about Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer. We thought for this group in particular, uh, we should ask them what they think of the Lib Dem leader, Sir Ed Davey. On the face of it, he seems fairly genuine. He's had a tough family life. He's got a disabled, very disabled child. Probably a bit dull, but a sensible. Well, I can see a safe pair of hands at the moment for the Lib Dems. I haven't got a clue. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Is the British version of Biden. He's been around forever and is known for not actually doing anything. He seems a fairly ordinary guy. And, and I guess the reason we don't know much about him is because the press haven't really followed him or pulled up any mud on him yet. Uh, that's to come, I expect, if he does particularly well at anything. Got a perceptive point there at the end, uh, James. Uh, let's unpack uh, Ed Davies, the Joe Biden of British politics. Uh, I think Ed Davey comes out of that slightly better than Joe Biden does. I was going to say, that is a bit harsh on Joe Biden, isn't it, really? <laughs> I mean, he did did at least make it to president. Um, I think that, uh, look, it's interesting because in some ways, when the Lib Dems have a stronger national brand, it can actually be worse for them. Um, and everybody forgets that actually the 2019 vote share for the Lib Dems was up on 2017 and up on 2015, but they still did very badly in terms of seats. It means when they've got a national brand, it's hard for them to position themselves as you know the, lead, the, the party for everybody in these local areas. So actually, Ed Davies' relative blandness actually helps them to be quite adaptable and have a you know relatively bland brand that allows them to be person for everyone. It's interesting, actually. I bumped into it. When I was in Parliament last night, I bumped into a Lib Dem MP who said when they had the choice between Ed Davey and Leila Moran, they made exactly that point. They thought that basically Leila Moran would be too excitable, would say things which made headlines, uh, the sort of the, the sort of very right-on, woke agenda that the Lib Dem sometimes get accused of. And they, they've sort of tried that with Joe Swinson to some extent. Uh, you know, Vince Cable was very well known and people could sort of project on various things onto them. Whereas, you know, a, a dull bland person that you could you could uh you know slightly forget but you know genuine dull sensible you'd take that in particularly when the contrast is Boris Johnson um well let's uh more broadly then look at what uh their views were on on the Lib Dem Lib Dem as a party more generally historically pretty credible but I go back a long way because I'm old but they completely lost their way Joe Swinson was a complete nightmare at the moment Ed Davies seems okay. But in terms of policies, I've got no idea. All I remember them saying is we would ignore the vote of the Brexit referendum, which was ridiculous. It's what they always say they stand for, isn't it? That they want to listen and they want to hear and they want to support. We now need to see that actually coming through. In general, they're a party that people vote on uh, if they can't decide on the other two. Mm, it's almost like a happy medium. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. It's, it's, it's a lesser of the evils, really. I, I don't know a lot about the Lib Dems, but it was never really an option for me prior to what's gone on over the last year or so. so. But they always seem pretty steady, I suppose, in the middle of the road and pretty trustworthy, I guess, because you never really hear a lot of scandal about the Lib Dems. What are they since they lost so badly in the general election? I think Nick Clegg putting oh God. Conservatives into power. There they lost... They're Labour supporters. 
Really interesting. I mean, they've never had any scandal. Try, try telling that to Mark Oten. But I mean, a lot of these things are in the past. They've been sort of out of people's minds. They, they, you know, enough time now seems to have passed since the coalition that people are sort of, if not warming to them, indifferent, which is a start. Which was such a large issue for so long. No mention of tuition fees at all there, um, and uh, only one mention of Brexit. So even you know only three years ago, uh, the amount of focus the Lib Dems had on Brexit, on as they called, said stopping Brexit, really very little mention of that. And again, we tested this line, a line that you might expect to see the Conservatives use in Tiverton and Honiton. Um, you know, if you got another Lib Dem MP, maybe they'd try and you know, undermine Brexit. Maybe they'd try and stop Boris being strong on Northern Ireland or whatever it might be. Fell completely flat. These are high information voters. They know that an, a one lived Dem MP is not going to make a big difference. As one voter said, you know, it's an impotent party nationally that would do good on local issues. Yeah, yeah. The Lib Dem MP I spoke to last night described how they were currently in a sweet spot. That the only people who still care about Brexit are, my paraphrase, the hardline loopy Ramonas. Uh, they're the only ones who are still exercised by it. And they've still got them. They'll still stay with the Lib Dems. Uh, but the other people who voted for Brexit, they think it's done or it's, you know, the Lib Dems will be indifferent to it. They've they've sort of forgotten about it. They think they've, we should move on from it. So they are hanging on to the beret-wearing <laughs> Ramona tendency while also starting to attract people who voted Leave. And that's a pretty, in lots of seats, that's a pretty smart coalition for them. Absolutely. And you saw that happen in, 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 in North Shropshire. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And you see that ability to basically be, you know, the person to both. Um, and that's and that's very, 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 very if clear can, indeed. If you can appeal to everyone, that's uh, that's politics. Sorry. We it's so it's got six 2019 Conservative voters in the uh, seat of Tiverton and Honiton, which is in the news, of course, because Neil Parrish standing down. Uh, although he's got a big majority or he had a big majority in 2019, the Lib Dems have got their eyes on it. Uh, just to reassure, uh, well, one listener's been in touch being suggesting these are all Times Radio listeners, which the point is, James, they are not. How do you find these people? Uh, they're recruited by an independent uh, market research company. Uh, we screen them on, you know, whether they're Conservative 2019, whether they're undecided, so we're getting the right, the right cross-section. They might be Times Radio listeners, who knows? They could read or, or listen to anything, but they're certainly not, not recruited on that basis at all. They could listen or, or read or watch anything they like. Uh, I've also upset people with the suggestion of beret-wearing Ramonas. Uh, Tim says he's a Ramona and he's never worn a beret. So, uh, good. Right, we continue then. Our, uh, let's, let's work our way through this group. Um, some said they might hesitate to vote Lib Dem because they don't know about their policies. They're too passive. Uh, when asked who they will vote for, of the six, three said Lib Dem, one says independent if not Lib Dem, and two weren't sure. But, but lots of them thought the Tories were going to win anyway. One of the key attacks, as we were just discussing, is the Tory attack line on Brexit. Why would they hesitate to vote Tory? That's what they had to say. Just the lack of uh, faith in, in anything that they say, the delivery of, of their promises is just falling short every time. Vote for Conservatives, they would be endorsing Boris, so that would be my hesitation. A lot of families still vote for Conservative. For the, you know, I've done it all my life because I was brought up that way, but at the moment I wouldn't because of Boris. Just a lack of trust in parties as a whole, really. I think, um, I think it is time for a change. It would be Boris. Yeah, he's not actually a Conservative. It's almost as if the Conservative Party has got a Liberal Democrat Prime Minister, in a sense, because I think he does chat to Mrs Boris quite a bit, and she has different tendencies and leanings. So I, it's Boris would be my big hesitation. Take him out the picture, and Conservatives look very different. My concern would be that we just get another Boris puppet. 
There we are. Take him out of the picture. I mean, literally removing Boris Johnson would now boost the Tories, at least according to this group, James. Yeah, and they were stronger throughout as well. People said they would never vote Conservative again while Boris Johnson was leader. Um, it is a real wake-up call for poor Conservative MPs, this. Um, and, yeah, they basically feel like... They know that these by-elections are watched. They know that they're watched on the national stage by the media, by MPs, and they're made into something, and they don't want their vote to look like an endorsement of Boris Johnson. So uh, Brexit isn't resonating. Uh, Boris Johnson isn't resonating. But one of the, the key things the Tories keep banging away on is the line that all cabinet ministers take when they're you know, asked, why you know, shouldn't he be resigning if he's been fined? They said, no, because he got the big calls right. And so you asked the group if they agreed. What big calls? And <laughs> what's he got right? <laughs> no, I think they're just changing history and just picking up on a few things and ignoring all the ones that he, the calls he didn't make or the calls that were mistakes. Tell me one big call that it, when he's got it right what one one big thing the vaccine rollout was good but that's because there was some some ashes of an nhs left to be able to roll that that vaccine out and that's no thanks to the conservative party i sort of felt for a while that he, he probably made the best call with a lot of the things that happened in lockdown and especially as kevin said the, the vaccines and stuff but as time goes on you just see it you know it's smoke and mirrors I don't think he gets the big calls right. I think he's an opportunist. James, you can sort of feel, uh, you can almost hear the scream of Tory spin doctors thinking, well, this is just, these are Tory voters. They voted for Boris Johnson in 2019. Yeah, and we did this in the same way when we test messages for all parties. When I used to do the polling at number 10 uh, uh, under Theresa May, we used to go out and you know poll lines like this to try and work out which ones are most effective uh, with voters. This line, Boris gets the big calls right, it might have been a line fitting for last year or 2020 because a lot of these voters do say, at the start, I thought he was doing right, but it is a line that seems entirely redundant in 2022. If I was in there testing this line now, I'd be saying, let's go back to the drawing board because clearly the view of Boris Johnson has changed very significantly since around mid-January. And, and I mean, clearly got the big call right worked when everyone was queuing up to get their jabs. There was a sense of, yes, we were getting our jabs before the countries and, and so on. But they can't realistically go into 2024 saying we got you a vaccine in 2021. Yeah, that that seems older for them. Um, even though it was, you know, so seismic, and as you heard the gentleman say there, there's also, um, you know, uh, sort of they look at the NHS as being a key deliverer in that. And in that segment, no mention of Ukraine. Um, you know, which yes. is quite yeah, stunning, yeah, yeah. really, considering how how prominent that is. And it does just echo to you, you know, what these voters are thinking about and how they're viewing politics all the time. It's not often through the prism of foreign affairs. However, you know, noble the UK's uh, actions are on Ukraine. OK, then we always round off, uh, James, with a very straightforward, you know, if this group had the opportunity, what would they say uh, to the two leaders? So let's uh, let's kick off with the uh, the message from this group of uh, 2019 Conservative voters in Tiverton and Honiton. This is their message to Boris Johnson. Please listen. Be aware of what's going on and uh, be aware of how people are feeling about what's, what's happened and... You know, our people suffered during the pandemic and and it seems that, you know, they, they didn't, didn't care. Just do the right thing. Resign. You've broken the, the law. You didn't follow the rules. Do the right thing, the best thing you can do for this country and resign. I want to hear your green agenda. I want to see it delivered. Finally, proactively respond to the crisis that, that many people are in currently. Not great for for Boris. If you were still in number ten now, uh, James, what would you be advising the prime minister? 
Well, look, it's 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 very difficult. I mean, I I really do think that as a pollster, having done all these groups, having done all these polls, you know, it does feel like what world are Conservative MPs living on? Because this is the message again and again and again in the South, in the North, in the Midlands, with new Conservative voters, with Tory voters who are more loyal uh, in the South. It's Partygate has prompted it, but it's not just Partygate. That's had an impact on how people view Boris Johnson. It's made them now think he can no longer be trusted. It's made them now think he's not strong. It's made him now think he's not the person who stands up for them. And there's more of it to come. A hundred fines announced today, more fines potentially coming, including potentially for Boris Johnson himself. We've got the Sue Gray report to come. We've got this by-election result in Tiverton. We've got a by-election result in Wakefield. And we've got this parliamentary inquiry into into whether he's misled Parliament. If I'm listening to this, if I'm thinking about all my focus groups today, I'm looking at that lot to come. I'm thinking this is not going away anywhere for Boris Johnson, who is currently the barrier to these voters voting Conservative. Conservative MPs, though, still not acting, still haven't quite seemed to realise the importance of that. Well, it'll be interesting if they are listening in number 10. Uh, I suspect they'll also be listening in Lib Dem HQ as well and feeling quite quite pleased with themselves. What's your, and I know we can't extrapolate from six people on a, on a Zoom call, but given everything you've been doing, what's your sense of what will happen in Tiverton and Hanson? Uh, it, it, is, it is really hard because I just don't know how many loyal Conservatives there are, um, you know, who actually might be enough to, to outnumber those voters. On this, though, I think you have to say Lib Dems have a good shot. I just think we need to wait a little bit more. If anybody does a poll there, that would be really helpful because we'll be able to see whether, <laughs> actually, just how many of these swing voters there yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. But look, on, the campaign hasn't started properly and people are already identifying the Lib Dems as the yeah, answer. Yeah. Well, in fact, I saw, I saw uh, a West Country Tory MP last night and uh, he said that the Lib Dems are all over Tiverton and Hollinson and, uh, and this is true in large parts of parts of the South West and they're all, they're all quite worried. Well, there we are. James Johnson, thank you. Uh, thank you very much for talking us through all of that. Uh, There's so much reaction. I mean, if you want to see some of the best quotes, we put a video online. James has done an extraordinary Twitter thread of some of the best quotes, which has gone absolutely viral, as the young, uh, as the young people say. Um, and we'll do that again uh, same time next month. Who knows where we'll be uh, by that point. Uh, James, thanks so much for joining us. That was the Times Radio Focus Group with Kex CNC. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs>